Hello, very good evening to you. Welcome to the locker room number one for sport. This is Indie Live Rego, and this is Michael and Matthew. How, how's it going, Matthew? I'm all right from a very snowy Bundoran at the moment. It's uh, it's all right. The snow's away here. We've, we probably sent you the snow over, so that was... Oh, thanks, mate. I'm, I'm very touched. <laughs> um, we've got a busy show. Um, as always, we'll look back in uh, Rangers uh, last night in UEFA, European football. Look uh, to this weekend's football and uh, we'll tell you a bit about rugby and Pro 14 coming up. But let's start this week, Matthew, because we live in Scotland, we don't really get any kind of good news about people winning things and stuff. It's been a really, really, really eventful week in in Scottish sport, but yeah, very rarely do we get any sort of successful stories, whether it's Europe, whether it's Six Nations, whether it's any sort of sport, it's very difficult for Scotland to compete at any sort of level. Yeah, so so that's what we've got a bit of good news for you. Obviously, Andy Murray has, um, <laughs> well, I, I, obviously, this, um, yeah, coronavirus, that's why it wasn't in Australia. And also, uh, this week was the Italian Open, the ATP Tour in Italy, but Funnily enough, he, he uh, pulled out of that tournament as well. And I was just saying to Mafia that um, I can't believe that Andy Murray went from number one in the world, right, to 125 in the world. That, that's hard to believe because a couple of years ago, he, he, he was beating everybody. It was beating me and you, but obviously 125 in the world, that's a big kind of jump. I mean, he's had these injury problems. I don't think it's any secret that he's kind of, he's went from being really in that top bracket. I mean, if you remember a few years ago, he was talked about as being the one of the top three really tennis players in the world. And this week, he's sort of dropped because of injury. And then this week, he's withdrawn from uh, the Challenge Tour event in Italy. And I think really it's, it's, a, it's a difficult one for him because he's trying to, he's, he's trying to really start competing again. He's trying to work out where he goes from here. Um, and then every time you think he's got a chance uh, to, to push on, he gets COVID or he gets another injury or he has to pull out of an event. I mean, I think the ATP uh, 250 event was due to run next week, wasn't it? And yeah. then in Italy and, you know, he's went from being one of the top dogs to, like you say, 125th in the world. Um, but he's, you know, I, I think he has to work out where he goes from here because he's continuing to come back from the hip surgery, and he was hoping hip surgery would save his career. Um, and he has had one or two games, I think, since he's returned from the hip surgery. But yeah, like you said, every time he has a chance to push on, the Australian Open was one of the big ones that we were looking forward to. And then just as you think he's back, he tests positive for coronavirus. So he's back almost to square one. And then, like you say, this week he was due to uh, compete in the Challenger Tour in Italy. And then just when you think he's going to you know, start there or playing that, he, he has to pull out. He has accepted a wild card for next week's uh, event in France. So, um, you know, fingers crossed. I, I don't know where he, where he stands in that one. But yeah, he's pulled out the Italian one. Maybe he has pulled out to focus on on the Montpellier part of the ATP tour. So we'll just have to see how that goes for, for Andy, Murray, Andy Murray next week. Because I think, like I said, I think the, the event in France is at the end of February or t- towards the end of February. Uh, next week so 
hopefully he gets a chance to compete in that and hopefully you know he's pulled out the event in Italy to concentrate on that but we'll have to see yeah um so and the mother wasn't in Australia but one man who was in Australia um and the para sports um the wheelchair doubles uh Gorgon Reed he and Alfie Hewitt has a doubles uh, partner won um won the Australian wheelchair open and believe it or not that was the, that was their tenth title of the that they've won um the Australian Open and also that's five in a row so that's five titles that they've won back to back so it's not bad going. No, and did, did I, was I right in saying, I think they said that even though they've won all those titles in a row, this one was probably their most satisfying yet. So it doesn't it doesn't sound like they're going to like start giving up anytime soon. No, um, no, no. It's good it's, to see. Them. And this year, obviously, they've got the, well, hopefully, they've got the Paralympics, so hopefully they'll uh, win gold medal for that. But um, last year, that Gordon we got beat off at Alfie Shirt, but they were not in singles and and wheelchair tennis as well. Yeah, I mean, I think I think all these sports. I mean, what I love about them is now that they're getting a lot more publicity in the media mm, and yeah. on the television. Because I love watching this. Because I mean, obviously, people with a disability. They're having to reach a level that's probably even higher than people without a disability because obviously, you know, t- things like tennis, I mean, it's hard enough for me, for example, to watch people playing tennis, but to be able to do it to that level with a disability is something that they should all be very proud of. Mm. So well, well done. And, and I think they've got other tournaments coming up in the lead up to the Olympic Games, but we'll let you know and we'll keep you up to date and what's happening about the Olympics and the Paralympics because as far as we know, it's still on, but that could be changed within five minutes, maybe tomorrow. <laughs> um, so um, let's move on then. Uh, speak about this weekend's football, Matthew, because um, it's games tomorrow, but let's start with Rangers um, because they played last night and they got a, a very impressive win away from home. Yeah, I mean, they, well, they've got. Uh, I mean, they are obviously leading up to their, their league game against Dundee United at Ibrox yeah. on Sunday, um, and this game was a was really a good warm up for them because uh, Royal Antwerp are. I mean, they're quite a decent side. I mean, when the Rangers were coming into this, I kind of thought this will be one of their strongest tests yet. Antwerp, strangely enough, given what happened, I didn't think there'd be a lot of goals in this. Rangers obviously don't concede a lot. They don't score many as well. I mean, the last, what, five results, Rangers really have only scored one goal in each game. And even though Royal Antwerp, I think, are second in their league, they don't score a lot of goals either. So I thought this would be quite a close affair, maybe 1-0 in it either way. But I have to say, considering what I thought would happen, it turned out to be probably one of the most entertaining games I've seen this season. Um you know, two goals in the last seven minutes, basically, and Rangers a win, which and an astonishing game, really. I mean, like I said, it was one of the best games I've ever seen uh, this season. Um, Stephen Gerrard's side led, um, then had to equalise twice before then going on to win the game in the last seconds, really, with a Barisic penalty, which you can argue may or may not have been a penalty, um, but they, they got it anyway. It was a well-deserved win. Aribo scored. Ryan Kent scored an absolutely cracking goal, um, basically to to give them the equaliser um, and then push them on to to get their famous one. Uh, I, 
you know, I think what this does is they've scored four goals away from home. They've conceded three. It was an open game, um, but it leaves Rangers in a very good position, really, to go on and reach the last 16 of the Europa League. Um, and it, can, it basically continued Gerard's impressive European record. I, don't, I think they've won six of the last eight, possibly, away games in Europe. I think they've only lost one game at home under Steven Gerrard, which was last season uh, when mm-hmm. they were knocked out by Bayer Leverkusen. Um, so, you know, Rangers are in a good position to go on, I think, and, and challenge in this title, in this, in this Europa League. Uh, they've got a strong defence normally. Uh, they've got they've got a strong goalkeeper. They can score goals uh, when they need to. But last night showed what they could do. Um, and I think you know what did we learn? I think we learned that you know many aspects of Rangers' performance were positive going forward. They were a bit worried at the back. I think, like I said, they've conceded three. They've had a few injuries. I think Tavernier getting injured might be one of those things that come back to haunt them over the course. Maybe not in the SPL race, but that might come back to haunt them in the, at Europa League level. But to lead them to score four goals uh, is a huge advantage now. I can only see them really going on to beat Antwerp when they come um, come to Ibrox. Um, and I think that there was a record. This, this was the highest score in European game Antwerp had been involved in since 1994 when they were beaten 5-2 uh, against Newcastle United in the UEFA Cup. And if I'm not mistaken, players like Andy Cole, Peter Beardsley, Robert Lee were in that Newcastle side. So it's been a long, long time ago since we've seen Antwerp scoring a lot of these goals and conceding. So it was a bit of a surprise, but I think Rangers, you know, even though they lost Havenier, which I think is a problem, um, I think Gerard, even though he'll be, he'll be not happy about conceding three goals, I think you can say that they certainly look like they can compete in Europe, um, not only at Ibrox, but at home. And, you know, I can only see, like I said, I can only see Rangers go on, winning this, getting into the last 16, and then you're up against some of the greats in European competition. For example, Manchester United, um, you know, I think Rangers, Rangers showed that they can compete at this level. Um, and it'll be interesting to see where they go from here. But and another thing as well, the fact that they got the win is very good for Scotland's coefficient. And I think it hopefully will mean that next year Rangers, because it will be Rangers, Rangers hopefully have a chance of going straight into the Champions League, which will be really good for Scottish football as well. Yeah, uh, <clears throat> I suppose Rangers won a uh, good, good win last night, but I think the only down part for all the Rangers fans was um, Tavernier's kind of the injury. And I look at... Uh, I think I can make so one, you know. Yeah, I mean, I, from what it looked like, I mean, I mean, he, he, he sort of afterwards he could run in a straight line, but any time he went to pass sideways or move sideways, um, it looked like he was in a bit of a, a problem. And you know, I think Stephen Gerrard after the game was hinted that you know they may they may have to make an emergency signing to fill the void left by Tavernier, which suggests he could be out for a month or two. Now, like I said, I don't think it will affect Rangers in the in the SPL. I think that that boat has sailed in regards to them winning the league. But you know, the, I think the fact that they are looking to fill the void from Tavernier suggests that you know it will be a long term injury, and they do need somebody to fill in in the Europa League. Now, I think Balogun came in and replaced him and filled in at right back last night. Mm. He has, you know, he has experience uh, playing that position. But you saw when Tavernier did go off, Rangers at the back didn't look as imposed, didn't look as no. um, imposing or composed as they did before. They conceded goals. Um, you know, even even though they conceded three, uh, you know, there was Antwerp had a couple of chances that one was cleared off the line. 
Um, one McGregor had to save as well when the guy was clean through. So, you know, without Tavernier, it just shows you without that back four that have been so solid all year, you take one out of the equation. And even with Balogun being in there, they did look a bit more weaker for that. And I think that's why Gerard does want to get a replacement and so they can challenge in the Europa League um, at that level. Because, like I said, I don't think it will affect them domestically. I think they'll be able to get through. And I think, I think you know, Balogun can fill in pretty well in the SPL, kind of like, you know, with Celtic when, you know, beat on Filson at centre-back. I think they can do it. But in, against top European teams, it may well be that they're found out. So, you know, even though he can do a job in there, I think Ryan Jack's also played right back at some point um, in his career as well. So they could play people in there. I think Gerard may well be looking for an emergency right back just to fill in um, and possibly a half-decent one just to, so he can play in Europe and they can have a, a defence really that can match some of the best forward lines in the European competition. So that, that's the second leg you come next week at Ibrox. But of course, Rangers in, is in league action at the weekend, Matthew, against Dundee United. The, we, I think you speak about them every week, um, about them kind of the, the kind of up and down team at the moment. Yeah, or you just don't know what you're going to get from them. And I, I think, you know, I think we all do forget. I mean, Dundee United are a massive team. But I think we kind of forget, number one, they've just been promoted. Uh, and number two, they had a new management team coming in there, um, obviously in the summer. So, you know, the fact that they're kind of sitting in mid-table, pretty comfortably in mid-table at the moment, they've won two of the last five. But, yeah, I mean, like, like most teams, I think when when you see when you see the team you're up against is Rangers at Ibrox um, on Sunday, you know that you're going to be in for a game. Rangers may well be tired after the you know after the game last night. Um, obviously injuries will take their toll Dungeon United probably it's good having the team straight after the Europa League on a Sunday because there is an, an inevitable downfall in performance so Dungeon United are getting them at a good time but um, it's going to be really hard to stop the juggernaut that is Rangers I mean they've won four of the last five uh, the only draw really was Hamilton in the last second equaliser so the, the, they've only conceded eight goals in the league I say this every week they've only conceded eight goals in the league they've scored 69 Dundee United have a really tough task going in Tybrooks on on Sunday. But like I said, there might be a Europa League hangover. Maybe Dungeon United are going in at a good time. Uh, they have given Rangers a game this season. They have given Celtic a good game this season as well. So they can perform at the standards of the old firm. Um, but yeah, I can only see one winner in this game and it's, it's Rangers, sadly, for Dundee United. Yeah, I mean, was it not um, uh, Dundee and Ikega? I remember the, the game up there, uh, Rangers and Dundee and Ikega, and I think Rangers won 2 0, but Dundee and Ikega actually kind of like, defended well for parts of that game. Yeah, I mean, they showed as well. Like, you mentioned that game, and you mentioned, say, I think it was 2 1, wasn't it? So Dundee United were in that game yeah. uh, right up to the end. Yeah. Um, and they showed that against Celtic, you know, they were they were in that game right up to the end until Yeti scored. So they can, you know, they can get into, they can defend get pretty well in games. They can stick in there. They can fight. Uh, getting goals is obviously a bit of a problem um, for them against Old Firm. Um, and they have only scored um, 26 goals this season. So their goal difference is minus 12. So they don't score as many goals as really they should, especially given their forward line. Uh, given they've got one of the most talented forwards in Scottish uh, in the Scottish game at the moment, they don't score that many, and I think that's 
probably going to be their downfall this weekend is that when you go to Rangers, Rangers don't concede many. Dundee United don't score as many as they should. If Rangers take the lead, it's going to be an uphill battle for Dundee United. And I, you know, that's why I think they will struggle. Um, but, you know, like I said, they've shown in the past that they can compete against Rangers, they can compete against Celtic at Tannadigs. It's just now whether they can do it. Um, they can do it at Ibrox. But, you know, James Tavernier being out is a very interesting one because he... It'll be interesting to see a Rangers cope without him because not only is he a decent defender, and he obviously, like last night, he shows what a miss he is when he's at the back line, but he scores mm. a lot of goals and he sets up a lot of goals as well. Yeah. So it'll, it'll be interesting to see what what Rangers look like without that threat. Yeah, no, no, definitely. So that's the game on, on Sunday. But to be honest, Matthew, I don't know what Ross Kent and Selkits did to be... Uh, they, they must be in the bad books for, from Sky because it's a half seven kickover in the Sunday night. That's a bit uh, kind of unusual. Well, I can say is thank God that fans aren't go, aren't on, allowed to see yeah. them because yeah. that yeah. from from Glasgow to Dingwall on a Sunday at half seven is what only I can describe as a trip from hell. Yeah, uh, especially, especially when you've got work the next day. Oh, and... Matt, we're on the road to hell. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm saying Dingwall's hell, but no, half seven on a Sunday. <laughs> nice people up there, even though I mean, I've never been there. Well, I mean, the good thing, I think, from a crowd point of view, is you might not notice that there's, I mean, I mean, Celtic do bring a large crowd up there normally and do fill that stadium. But, you know, what would have happened if it was a Sunday half seven kickoff? Um, I think there would have been outrage and to be honest I don't think Sky could and the SPFL could have allowed that game to be shown on Sunday at half seven because there's just no way yeah. fans could go that way um, you know And but you know it is what it is and we're here we're here now Ross County are obviously rooted to the bottom of the table now I mean every week we seem to be saying that the, the dynamics of this relegation battle seem to change I think Motherwell have lost two of the last three games that we were talking about that's pulled them a little bit back into the relegation battle on 28 points Kilmarnock have dropped they've lost five of the last five Kilmarnock have and that's pulled them from relatively safety and a decent performance last season to real danger relegation wise I mean Ross County are on 23 points Hamilton are on 24 Kilmarnock are on 24 um, it's the, the bottom three is going to be very tight this year as to who who stays up. I, even though Motherwell could get pulled into it, I just I think they've got they might have too much. So it'll be you know the bottom place will be either Ross County, Hamilton, and or Kilmarnock, and I can see that that position and changing all week. For Ross County, it's a shame they're up against Celtic because I think Celtic are coming into this in really good form. Yeah. You know they've won five of the last five games. Ross County have won two of the last five but lost the other three so they're not coming into that on, on majorly good form Celtic played obviously um, on Wednesday night against Aberdeen now you know what I would say about that game is you know they were they've were do- they been dominant in the last few games but the Wednesday night game they looked less dominant than they had been in recent games they really threatened to move up through the gears on Wednesday night so it wasn't the greatest of performances but there was two things that impressed me with Celtic on Wednesday night. Number one, you know, Edward's return to form really has been the catalyst for this recent resurgence. Um, and Turnbull as well, just on that diamond. Those two have looked really good up top and have managed to see Celtic through. Turnbull's goal on Wednesday night was class. Um, and it just shows you when Celtic maybe aren't performing at top gear, 
you know, Turnbull can get the ball down, move into space and hit the ball from 25, 30 yards out. Um, it can be he, those those play, types of players can be a threat from anybody. But number two, you know, not only are the Celtic having up, players up top who can change games even if they're not playing very well, I thought defensively Celtic were really good. Right. I thought, you know, Aber- Aberdeen, you know, for all that they lost, I thought Aberdeen's performance was a vast improvement on Saturday's uh, draw, with, draw with St Mirren. Um, and it wasn't, you know, they have lacked goals in recent weeks, but they did have chances, you know, they played 3-5-2, they got the ball out wide, the ball came into the box, they had people like Kimberry in there who um, had chances, you know, like, got the ball quite a lot. Um, I thought so. I thought Aberdeen played to the best of their ability, but Celtic defended well. Every ball into the box Aberdeen had from their wing backs were met was a met with a Celtic header. Every cross, every free kick, free kick that came in on Wednesday, on Wednesday night was met with a Celtic header. So defensively, Celtic looked a lot more solid. Um, like I said, they can create chances, they can score goals from anywhere now. And for Ross County, I think that could be a real problem for them because. You know, like I said, their their form has been very hot and cold. They're sitting bottom of the league. Celtic are coming on to form. So I can only really see one victory in this. Celtic can't afford to lose, which is a problem do, for Ross do County. Think, do you think Celtic could go on a bit of a run here now? Yeah, and do you know what? I think I think maybe I mean we've we've dissected Celtic's problems all season. Mm. Um part of it is because Rangers this year have been consistently very, very good. And I'm not taking away from Rangers about that because I think Rangers have proven that they are the best team in this league. Celtic have had problems all over the place. Maybe part of that now is gone in the sense that the pressure of 10 in a row was there. We've, we've, we've had problems with Dermot Desmond. We've had problems with Peter Lawwell. We've had problems at Celtic Park with uh, Neil Lennon. There's been problems with, or we've seen problems with the players even. And some of that could have been down to the pressure of 10 in a row. And now that Rangers have been so good and we've seen Rangers romp away with the title, um, to, to such an extent, even if Celtic were playing at the top of their game, I think they would have struggled to keep up with Rangers. Um, but that pressure of having 10 in a row lifted, that pressure of knowing that Rangers probably will win the league, Celtic have looked a lot better with that lifted. Um, and you're right, I could see Celtic going on a bit of a run here and pulling that gap in a little bit because that pressure's away um, from Celtic. Like I said, Edward's been looking better than he's looked all season. He, Edward's been a, atrocious, I think, most of this year, but he's looked better. And yet he's been playing that quite well up top with Edward too. Turnbull just behind us looked pretty well, like I said, creating chances, running, um, scoring goals. McGregor's looked quite good again. Brown has sat in there, uh, or Sorrow. Both of them have been looking quite good at that sort of anchor of the of the diamond and defensively like I said Bain even though I'm not a big fan of Bain I think he's stabilised that goalkeeping position at Celtic and the back four have looked more solid because of that Welsh Ayer um, all, Taylor in particular I think Taylor has been a massive plus point for Celtic's backline this looks like a team that could have went on and done some damage in the SPL if it was the team that started the season so I think Celtic could go on and run and for St Mirren, it's a shame because I can only see them losing at the weekend and dropping more points in, in the race for survival. And obviously with Hamilton going to Hibs and Kamarnock going to Aberdeen, they, they might not lose too much ground on the two above them. Um, but yeah, it's, it's another game gone. And I think for Ross County, unfortunately, it'll be another game without any points on the board. Yeah, 
Let um you you mentioned about St. Mother's game that that, that looks a, a kind of very interesting game for for and I think I'm actually gonna watch that again tomorrow, St. Mother's and Livingston. Um but Livingston has been on a good run of forum, but over the past couple of weeks, uh, the wheels basically came off the bus if if maybe maybe I've just made that saying up. But um <laughs> yeah, so so they've they've got beat the last two games. But St. Mullen has been picking up points as well. And uh, during the week there, St. Mullen will get a bit of a lift because of uh, Jim Goodwin signing that new new deal as well. Well, if anyone knows Livingston buses, especially in Edinburgh, they'll know that probably the wheels have come off the buses. They never turn up. Um, I mean, do you know, Livingston St. Mullen is quite an interesting game. And would you believe it's fifth against sixth in the table? Um, but the form of those these two teams, I mean, St. Mullen, St. Mullen, have been seen to be on good form, but in the league, it's not been brilliant. You know, they've only won one of the last five. Um, they're, they're, they've drawn two of the last five. So it's not brilliant form. And same with Livingston. You know, Livingston were in good form up to that point. But the last five games, they've lost two of the last five, two in a row. Um, and they have been struggling for a bit of form since they went on that unbeaten run. So this game, I think we'll see, obviously... If St Mirren can come away with a win, it will cement their position in the top six, especially because Dundee United are at Ibrox. Um, but if Livingston can go on and win, like I said, because Aberdeen have been on such um, a bad run of form, I, Livingston, and if they could go to New St Mirren Park and win, then that would draw in Aberdeen, and obviously Livingston have a game in hand on them. So I think this is a big game for Livingston just to see if, if they are top four material. I don't think St Mirren are top four material. So I think the, the question mark in this is, can Livingston win? Can they prove that they're, they deserve to be in the top four? Um, and if they do get a victory on Saturday, it just draws Aberdeen in a little bit because, like I said, Aberdeen haven't won in the last five. They played a little bit better at South Park on Wednesday, but they, I, I just don't see where the goals are coming from for Aberdeen. So Livingston, if they do go on a, another little run there, they could draw Aberdeen in, and Aberdeen, you know, are in real danger of not finishing in the European spot this year. And also, the the game, another game this weekend is Derek McInnes against Tommy Wright. And you would say that one manager in, one manager might be out. Yeah, I mean, Kamarnock, you normally you normally would see a bit of a bounce with the new manager coming in, but Kamarnock have lost five in the last five. Um, <laughs> They played a little bit better, I think. They, they kind of, they're threatening to go on a little bit of a run. They're threatening to get results, but it's just not came yet. And against Aberdeen, you know, going to Pataudry, even though I've just rounded off why Aberdeen are in such trouble, you know, they're not scoring goals. Um, you know, they are conceding goals. They've got probably, you know, their, their goal difference in the top four, you know, if you think about it, Rangers have got 61 goal difference, Celtic have 42 goal difference, Hibs are on 13, but Aberdeen are nearly, they're on two, so they're nearly scoring as many, or conceding as many as they're scoring, so, and that's because Aberdeen, while they're creating chances and not scoring, people like Canberra have not hit the ground running yet, they're not getting the goals that we thought they would, so... You know, we're waiting for a performance from Aberdeen. I think on Wednesday we got a performance from Aberdeen, but we're waiting for the ball to hit the back of the net. We're waiting for the the, the sort of the run of the mill results, the rub of the green to go for Aberdeen. And you know, I think if you're if you're looking for a result uh, and you're looking for something to get your team going, 
I don't think there's a better game for it than being at home against Kilmarnock on, yeah. on a Saturday. Um, so I think, you know, Derek McInnes will probably be rubbing his hands together thinking this is a chance that we've got to get some goals on the board, to get finally get three points on the board and to start looking like the team we threatened to look. Uh, well, especially last season. This season, Aberdeen haven't been as good as they have been um, previously, but they're still in the top four. Um and I think this this game is an important game for Derek McInnes because to me, for his for his career at Aberdeen, I think it's it could be a must win on Saturday just to get the ball rolling. But for like I said, for Kamarnock it's a must win too because they need to get the, the ball rolling, they need to get the rub of the green soon, otherwise they're gonna be in serious relegation trouble. So the game at Pataudry is very, very interesting. And and also the other two games are interesting as well, Matthew, because Marwell's kinda like picked up a wee bit. Uh, had a good performance at Celtic Park last week against Johnson. That's in the League Cup final next weekend. And also, you've got Hibs uh, at home to Hamilton. And Hamilton's picked up a, uh, a couple of points over the past couple of weeks. So, interesting games this weekend. Well, Hamilton always seemed to have a bit of a bogey sign over Hibs too. Like Every time you see Hamilton coming to the Road, and I think it goes back to that playoff game, was it a relegation playoff years ago? Yeah. Um, yeah when yeah. Hamilton relegated Hibs, and I think ever since then, I've always looked at this game as being, even though Hibs should win, and Hibs have won four of the last five, the, since they had that mini sort of disaster over Christmas, New Year period, they had, do you remember when they had that little bit of a break because Celtic were in dreaded Dubai? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and we suggested that maybe Hibs needed that little bit of a break. Well, it turned out they did because once they came back from that little tiny break, thanks to Celtic, Hibs have been on brilliant, on brilliant form uh, to the point that now they've cemented that third place. They don't, they, they look like they're, even when they're playing poor, they look like they can win games. Um, and this is one of those games where I think a previous Hibs side might have folded. But I think this Hibs side maybe have too much for Hamilton at Easter Road. You know, Hamilton, you're right, they haven't lost in the last three games um, and they've been picking up points. You know, I think they've picked up five points out of a previous nine, out of a possible nine, sorry. Um, so they are on a bit of run. Um, they, they were rooted to the bottom a little bit. And like I said, the, the results in the last three games have pushed them into the playoff position. But again, you would expect if Hibs have any any chance of competing to maybe knock Celtic off that second position. Uh, they do have a game in hand over Celtic. If they have any realistic possibility of doing that, they have to be beating teams like Hamilton at Easter Road. Um, but would you be surprised if Hamilton went to win? No. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a big game. It is, it, is a, it is a big game. We're getting to the business end of the season now. And, yeah, exactly. and what's great for the SPL is, apart from the title race, every game is important below that. Mm. I, because are we not on the is it March the, the top six and bottom six so you know um, every, every game is like six points in a way well if you look at the say the split what you're talking about you know if you look at the split right now six and seven we have St. Mirren and Dundee United both of them are on equal points mm. so who, who's going to sneak in there you don't know that's going to go to the wire Relegation, like I said, apart from, you know, Motherwell are still in this, but if you think there's two relegation places really up for grabs if you include the playoff, there's three teams battling out for those bottom two positions. So that's mm. going to be interesting. Hibs Aberdeen, who's going to finish third and fourth? Fifth, can Livingston sneak into that top four? Or even the top two, can Hibs sneak into second? It's a very interesting season. It's been very enjoyable. 
yeah. um, to watch. And the only sad thing is the title Guess race has been disappointing. Yeah, and guess the same shame. No fans are there to see it um, as well. Um, so let's run through the first division games for you tomorrow. And I, I don't know why, but there's no games tonight because uh, there's usually a flag in that game. But the games on tomorrow, um, it is Abrov against Rafe Rovers, Air United, Inverness, Dundee, Queen of the South, Gunferman, uh, uh, Aroa, and uh, Hearts against Morton tomorrow in the Championship. But as I say, there's no games tonight. Um, but the, of, of course, over the past couple of weeks, we've been speaking about the, the, the Six Masons rugby, but obviously it's half time now because there's no games this weekend. Uh, but let's speak about that. Last week's disappointing. Scott, uh, well, to be honest, I thought Scotland played well up until they up until um, Scotland got a man sent off, but Scotland get beat by a point, Matthew. Yeah, I mean, Wales, I mean, they edged out 14 men, man Scotland. It was, well, to me, it was an absolute thriller at Murrayfield, to be perfectly honest, you know. Uh, tries from Darcy Graham and Scott Hogg had Scotland 17 8 and a half time lead. And to be honest, Scotland, I think, dominated the first half as well. They they, they took on their, the result of Twickenham from the weekend before that. And absolutely, I think the score, even at 17 8, I think the score flattered Wales. I think Scotland were just all over them. And I think at half time, yeah, like Twickenham, I, I was disappointed that Scotland weren't further in the lead. But again, it looked safe. It looked like Scotland were taking this on. And to be honest, I, I, I did something that Scottish fans should never do and started dreaming about going to Paris, uh, being top of the group. You know, it's, it was one of those things. I'd, I'd already started dreaming about winning our yeah, first two games. I mean, I mean you get a bit, you, you're on a bit of a high. Yeah, I mean, you know? I, like I said, like I, I honestly, at halftime, was thinking, God, this is the first time we've won two games in a row at the start of a Six Nations campaign or a Five Nations campaign since I was in high school. You know, I was, I'd already assumed we'd won it. But then, you know, half-time finished, second half started, and in a frantic seven minutes, um, it saw the hosts have a try disallowed. Um, you know, maybe in essence it should have been disallowed, but we had the try disallowed. And then just after that, Fagerson was sent off um, and with a red card that, you know, I think... It was a difficult one because at the time when I first saw it, I thought it wasn't a red card, and I was I thought that a yellow card would have sufficed. Um, the more I see it, when you look at the rules of the game, head contact, all that kind of stuff, you can see why a red card was given. Um, but it's frustrating because it's very it, like you see you see incidents like Fagerson's in a game, you see that all the time and you might not get penalised for it it's just this time he was caught and because of that he was given a red card and you can't argue against it as such but it is frustrating that there's not more consistency with the refereeing and yellow slash red cards in situations like this but you know the last week Wales had the similar situation I, I think um, Ireland had the red card and that turned the game there it was a, I think the situation for Wales was worse I think the Ireland red card was a lot worse um, than the Scotland's one, for example. But then, you know, it comes down to consistency again because I think it was Peter, was it Peter O'Mahony was the red card last week? And he was only given, you know, he was given the red card and he was only given a three-game suspension 
yeah, you know, Scotland's one is worse. Even Scotland's suspension was worse. Um, you know, I think it was it. Th- yeah, I think it was Peter O'Manley was given a three-game suspension, and then when it came to our suspension, uh, Fagerson will basically miss the rest of the Six Nations campaign. Oh, for, um, and he's, that's a bit of a blow. That. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, he's been banned for four weeks. So even though on the Irish side the situation was the red card was worse, he was given less of a ban than our player was for a for a for one that could be argued either way. So you know, I think that's the frustrating thing for Scotland is that you know there doesn't seem to be a lot of consistency with this. But the red card changed the game. You know, it swung it swung the momentum uh, in Wales' favour. Uh, you know, a Jones try. Um, then we had. The, the young guy, Reese Samet, he scored an uh, absolutely amazing try. I don't know if you saw it, but basically he took out two Scotland players yeah, with pace, get, knocked the ball over him. Yeah, absolutely. Gekino getting the man of a match as well. Deservedly so. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, I thought his pace was unbelievable. I think, mm-hmm. I think I mean, he was up against Hogg for, for that try. Um, you know, and he managed to knock the ball over him and he just made it look like it was so easy. Um, and ran through and got the decisive try got them a bonus point win. Scotland got a bonus point, I will say that, because obviously uh, we were only, there was only a point in the game, so we had a bonus point. But I think the young, the 20-year-old try and his overall game were basically the highlight of the encounter. I thought he was by miles man of the match, like you said. You know, he, he had a couple of tries. Um, everything he did, really, every, every question that Scotland had, um, he, Wales and he answered. So, I think it was disappointing. I think Scotland Scotland deserved first half uh, to be in the lead in the first half. It looked quite good. Um, but, yeah, we had to, I mean, but second half, the red card changed. I mean, I think the red card changed the dynamics of the game. I think Scotland would have went on to win it if it wasn't for the red card. Um, some of the players obviously weren't happy with the decision, not just the red card, but there was other decisions in that game that Scottish players thought went for Wales. Um but, you know, it's disappointing that, you know, that even though we did so well last week against England and the discipline was good against England and the penalty count was very low against England, it was almost like, you know, even though we dominated against Wales, the penalty count was higher, the discipline wasn't there and ultimately it cost Scotland the game. Uh, yeah, and also this weekend it's no games. Uh, next weekend gets Matthew Six Scotland gives away to France, and that that's going to be a very interesting game as well because Scotland, if they've got any chance of winning the tournament, Matthew, they need to win this game. I mean Wales. I mean, yeah. I mean, France have been on good form as well. They obviously beat Italy the first week. Um, they then went to to Dublin um, and won in, and beat Ireland in Dublin, which is no no difficult or no easy feat because Ireland aren't a aren't an easy side to play against, especially in Dublin, but France have went there and, and won. Um, I think what I think France, I thought it might be a year too soon for them. They've got a lot of new players in that squad. A lot of them are quite young, and I thought maybe it would be a year too soon for them. But like I said, beating Italy, you would take that as a, as a French win every day of the week. So it wasn't too surprising. But the, the game in Dublin was a tough test for them, and to go there and win was a big result. Scotland... Used to be a giveaway as well, but I think Scotland will be the next test for France, and it'll be interesting mm-hmm. to see how they get on because Scotland have been playing well. Like I said, they beat England convincingly. In reality, they should. If the penalty count was lower, 
and obviously the discipline was a bit better. I think Scotland would have beat Wales too. So this is a very big game, but it might it might be that COVID has a has an impact on this game because I don't know where we'll be next week, and we'll obviously talk about it next week. Yeah, but you know, and the the French have had three members of the management team test positive uh, since the since the Italian game, or sorry, since the Irish game. So the head coach and two other non-playing staff members test positive on Tuesday, and those three will now isolate for seven days. Um, so if you think about that, that happened on Tuesday or um, Tuesday this week. They have to isolate for seven days, mm. but then France are due to host us on the 28th of February in Paris. So even though all the players tested negative, I mean, there could be more tests, obviously, since the management team have tested positive. There could be more positive tests um, coming in for the rest of the week. And even though the FFR have said that none of the, those tested positive have shown any symptoms, I think the players will be tested again today and mm. they will be tested again on Sunday as they try and prepare for their match against Scotland. But obviously, France then, after the, the last round of tests on Sunday, will announce their squad for the match on Wednesday next week. I think obviously having their coaching team so disrupted will have an impact. Possibly COVID players might have an impact to this game too. So it'll be interesting to see how France line up against Scotland um, a week on Sunday, given all this COVID um, information. But interestingly enough, Ireland also had tests and Ireland said no positive results were found when all members of their squad and backroom staff were tested on the Monday after that game. So Ireland have no positive results, but France seem to be suffering at the moment. So it'll be interesting to see how the next seven days play out before before we go to Paris. Yeah, well, we'll speak about that next weekend. But there's also rugby this weekend, Pro 14. And there's a game tonight, uh, Glasgow Warriors against Alska. And also a game tomorrow, um, Edinburgh against Munster. So... The, the game to make Matthew, uh, you'll have an interest in you'll have an interesting eye or maybe two eyes in that game uh, from a Glasgow point of view, but also because you're over in Ireland as well. Yeah, I mean, I'm in Ulster. Um, even though I'm in Donegal, I'm in the province of Ulster. So um, I always like to see Ulster doing well, but I don't like seeing them do well up against Scottish sides. Um, I mean, Ulster have been doing quite well this year. Glasgow and Edinburgh have struggled. I mean, I've I thought if COVID wasn't around, Edinburgh and Glasgow were actually coming into this season some positivity. You know, we, we were doing well in the Pro 14. We were getting to the last stages of it. We were getting to the last stages of European competition as well. But obviously, COVID's had a knock-on effect. Um, Scotland, obviously, are still playing um, internationally. So a lot of the Glasgow and Edinburgh first-teamers were going to play for Scotland um, in the autumn tests, or they were playing in the Six Nations now. And because of that, the Edinburgh and Glasgow sides have been decimated, so um, they've struggled to really keep up. Although Edinburgh and Glasgow, they're still in with a sneaky chance. I mean, if Edinburgh and Glasgow can go on a run, they could maybe still get into the last stages of the Pro 14, but um, it's going to be a difficult task. And obviously, even though we're at home, both our sides are at home against Ulster, and Saturday, Edinburgh against Munster. It's going to be a really tough task um, for both of those sides. But there's been some good news coming out of the, both of the camps this week. Uh, first of all, Glasgow. Glasgow Warriors announced the signing of former New Zealand under-20 international Josh McKay. So the 23-year-old can operate a full-back or, or winger um, and currently plays for the Crusaders in Super Rugby. Um, so I think that signing actually shows 
shows where Glasgow are at. They can come in. They can get people like Josh McKay, who who isn't a you know a, a bad signing. He's a really good signing. He's a balanced player. You know, like I said, they can play on the wing or full back. He's an incredible running attacking threat. And you know, players like this, I'm not sure, but I would guess that there's a chance that he could maybe qualify for Scotland as well in the long run. So Glasgow and Edinburgh have a very good record in bringing players in like this who maybe can play for Scotland once they've been naturalised to the country. Um, so hopefully he's another one that he's got under New Zealand under 20 experience. He's played for the Highlanders. He's played for the Crusaders. Um, I think he's played for Canterbury as well. He's a, he's, he's a good player, balanced player. His style will suit Glasgow. Um, let's just say that. And Glasgow worked really hard to make this happen for a player who's really got a big future ahead of them. So players like Josh McKay coming in um, can only be a bonus for Glasgow as they try and push on and compete at Pro 14 and European level. So that was a really bit of good positive uh, news coming out of Glasgow this week. And Edinburgh, you know, it's not a new player, but it's a new it's a new deal for um, WP now. He signed a two-year contract extension, which will take the 34-year-old beyond a 10th consecutive year at Edinburgh. So now, you know, he moved from Ed- to Edinburgh from South Africa. Um, he used to play for the Cheetahs. He aims to take on, after his playing days, he hopes to take on more co- coaching duties with Edinburgh and hopes to work with the younger players at the club to help them not only play for Edinburgh, but go on and represent Scotland. And I think that, you know, head coach Richard Cockrell um, is happy to have him still in the playing squad for the next couple of years, but will be happy to have him on the playing staff for the next couple of years as well, or the coaching staff after he's finished. So he's a very special player and it's a very good deal for a two-year contract extension for WP Nell to, to stay at Edinburgh and give that stability. But there was also further news at Edinburgh Rugby this week. Um, Edinburgh Rugby have completed the development of their new mini Murrayfield Stadium. Uh, the 5.7 million project uh, was built in conjunction with the Scottish Rugby, and it's right next to Murrayfield. I don't know if you, well, you've been to Murrayfield Stadium. I've been to Murray, yeah. Um, basically, it's where uh, the Murrayfield Wanderers used to play their rugby on the pitches right next to it. Okay, yeah. Mini Murrayfield's just in that square between Murrayfield Stadium and Murrayfield Ice Rink. Um, the, stadium, the new stadium's kind of in between the, the ice rink, the stadium and the uh, rail track slash uh, tram tracks. So that's been finished. And basically when uh, it will hold, when we're allowed fans in, it will hold 7,800, so 5,800 seats and space for 2,000 safe standing supporters to be there. There's also a 3G playing surface in place. So Edinburgh can, will now begin to train at the new venue with hopefully an official opening event uh, being held once COVID restrictions allow supporters to return. So Edinburgh, I mean, I've been going to watch Edinburgh Rugby for for too long than I care to remember. And, you know, we've always been in Murrayfield and Murrayfield was too big. We've tried other venues that are maybe too small. So Edinburgh have always kind of been crying out for a venue to match Glasgow's because Glasgow obviously have their own stadium that fills up every week because it's perfectly... Um, it's perfectly sized for that fan base. Edinburgh have never had that, so this is the first time Edinburgh has a has a stadium with a capacity that's a fair amount and can draw sellouts for Edinburgh. So I think Edinburgh will have finally have that advantage, home field advantage that they've been crying out for for decades. So I'm I'm really happy for Edinburgh rugby. Um, but there was other news, you know, just lower than that. We have the the Scottish leagues 
in rugby as well. Um, and just because I have literally moved or moved into Ayrshire, I thought I would bring up Air Rugby if it's all right. <laughs> um, Air Rugby and the Ayrshire Bulls um, have announced new strips. So even though there's no rugby below the Pro 14 level at the moment, clubs like Melrose, clubs like Air Rugby, um, they're still trying to make money and survive, and, and mainly through memberships. But you know, Air Rugby have announced a new strip to come out. So the Air Rugby themselves, but also with the Ayrshire Bulls, have new strips. So if anybody wants to put money into local rugby, and obviously, um, you know, put, not put, just... Put your money where your mouth is. Come on now. Well, yeah, exactly. Because, I mean, you can't go to these games because there's no games there. Membership basically runs on the lines of having a season ticket. So there's no game. So membership's not as a, a, maybe a option for some people. But if you have got extra money, uh, go to your local clubs, whether it's Air Rugby, whether it's Melrose, whether it's Glasgow Hawks, whether it's anybody, um, go to your local rugby website, see if they've got new strips available and try and put money into your local clubs because, you know, they're crying out for it. And like I said, I had a look and I bought the new Air Rugby shirt at the weekend that's uh, pink and black. So maybe I'll rock it up one time when I'm doing this show. But I've, I've went on the club website, I bought it. So if there's anyone else who wants to put money into their local rugby club, now's the time to do it. Um, and like I said, check out Air Rugby if you fancy a pink and black shirt. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Now we were going to speak about. We, we've only got a f uh, about ten minutes left on the show. We're going to speak about a, a man that you know very well, um, and you've met me a few times. Obviously, we we spoke about rugby in the past, but uh, Doggy Weir um, has got M N M N D. Uh, neuron disease, and he set up a. Uh, set up a foundation, but Matthew, um, when I was speaking to you about this, you said that you've met the guy a few times. Yeah, I mean, back in the day, I used to, before I had kids and such like, I used to go to, with my wife, I used to go to Scottish Rugby Hospitality quite a lot, um, and a Dougie Weir would always be there, so I've met him quite, oh, more times than I care to imagine, um, and he was a brilliant guy. Um, a brilliant laugh he would always be famous I mean people would remember him and he still does for his famous suits you know whether it's a, yeah. it's always an outrageous tartan suit um, and even though I would always go for the cultured kilt or whatever because I'm quite I would think I was quite out there wearing a kilt all the time but he was even more out there with these colourful tartan designs and suits and stuff so he was always a nice guy you know he started his playing career at Stuart Melville he then moved on to play for Melrose and the Borders and he was part of the team that won six Scottish club championships uh, with Melrose. So, you know, Melrose were always the side to beat back then. And he was part of that team that really did show that Melrose were the best team in Scotland at the time. He later then moved to England in 1995. He joined the Newcastle Falcons and was part of a premiership winning side for Newcastle, which is quite a difficult thing to do. Um, and he also played the Anglo-Welsh Cup final for Newcastle before moving back to Scotland. Uh, and he played for what used to be the Borders team in 2002, uh, they, they eventually joined in with Edinburgh. So uh, the Borders team eventually merged with Edinburgh. Um, but he played for the Borders in 2002, uh, where he stayed until his retirement. So, um, you know, he, he had a very good club career. His international career was just as good. You know, Weir's first appearance for Scotland was on the 10th of November uh, against Argentina at Murrayfield. 
and basically throughout the 90s he was a mainstay of the, mainstay of the team uh, and he was always a fan's favourite you know even though he was he played in a position that maybe wasn't the most glamorous of all the positions um, he was always one of the most famous players and you know he was the first recipient of the famous Grouse Scotland Player of the Five Nations Award in 1997 and he was you know commentators like Bill McLaren said he, he used to charge around like a mad giraffe which I think basically summed him up to a T. Um, he was also a line-out specialist and he was selected as part of the British and Irish Lions Tour of South Africa in 1997. Um, but unfortunately, you know, he, he had to, he left the tour uh, because of a serious knee injury, which um, which he had during that tour. And some will say, you know, it was serious foul play that he had, so it was unfortunate that that, that happened to him. Otherwise, he would have been a bigger part of the British and Irish Lions for that tour. Um but then obviously his playing time came to an end and um, he moved on to, to work. You know, he, he, he was working in for Hutchinson Environmental Solutions, which is a waste management company. Um, he also did a bit of Scotland commentating for the Scottish rugby team. He was on BBC as part of their halftime analysis. You might remember him there. Yeah. And he also did after dinner speech circuit. So he... You know, not only did he do the hospitality at Murrayfield, which is where I met him lots of times, he used to do Scotland rugby after dinner speeches. So I met him a few times at these, for example, you know, Hall of Fame nights or nights for, say, Scotland winning the the game against England in 1990 and stuff like that. He was always doing after dinner speeches and he was always around. And, you know, because he was such a great guy, I think it was quite easy for him to do it because he was loved by everybody. Um but it was unfortunate because in June 2017, um, you know, I think he announced that he'd been, well, I think he was promoting a global M- M&D awareness day, actually. Mm. He announced at the same time that he had motor neuron disease himself. And in that August of 2017, at the same time, just when, just when maybe other people might have thought, oh, goodness, I've got motor neuron disease um, and maybe go into their shell a bit. By August, he also had spoke about plans, therefore, to set up a foundation in his name, and that's where the Doddy Weir Foundation, the Doddy Weir Foundation, came from. Um, and since re- since then, really, the Doddy Weir Foundation has went on. Um, it's just went on to an amazing level. For example, um, he's he's done speeches, he's done dinners, he's done fundraisers, he's had, you know. Takes it. I mean, he's done the big things for the for like the big massive balls and um things that during rugby and stuff like that. But you know what people don't see is the small things. So you know, I think the his foundation has done things like cake sales, quiz nights, coffee mornings, lunch dinner and auctions, golf tournaments, raffles, all of these things he's done. So it's went from the big events to the wee tiny events at local level, um, and really. He's managed to spread the the motor neuron disease cause um, across the world, really across the rugby world, across the world, and they have made quite a lot of money uh, to try and find out or find ways of um, dealing with motor neuron disease, finding a, a maybe a way of stopping it or people help people living with it. And you can go to, you know, you can give money to not only. You can give money to the actual events that they're holding, but you can go onto the website too and give money 
uh, on a monthly basis. So you can give what you can afford. I mean, I think that on the website you can give 10, 20 or 50 pound monthly, but you can put in any monthly amount you can afford uh, on there too. So when you go to the website, you can do that. Um, they're, they're, they're obviously putting money into research. They're putting money into the impact of how they help people with motor neuron disease. And it's a very, very good cause that's went from very little to basically having millions in the bank going towards the motor neuron disease cause every year. So it's a good cause. Uh, I think it's the website is uh, myname5.co.uk. If you go there, you can find out all about it. You can check the uh, what's on event-wise. You can check the merchandise, which has some pretty good merchandise, or you can donate monthly on there too. And it's a very, very good cause. I was going to say, Mav, you, you know, it's quite sad to see because a man uh, at, at the top of his game in rugby this term, um, you know, and and coming down with this illness and it's, you know, it's you know it's never going to get better and, and stuff. And I mean, we we've seen. Uh, I think this is the first uh, guy doggy we are in rugby at Scotland. But obviously, footballs um, football. You had uh, Jeremy Johnson. You had um, you had Fernando Rexon for for Rangers a few years ago. And you're thinking, well. It's quite sad to see as as well, but also what, what I wanted to see uh, to to say was uh, I don't know if you've had the chance or, or saw it, Matthew, but over here last year I think it was uh, they had a documentary about Doggy Weir and it was about his life and uh, his family as well, and it's quite good for him to be on it to raise awareness, but in the same time, it's quite sad to see. Yeah, there's a, I mean, there's a personal side to this, and obviously for the him and his family and everyone who knows him, it's really sad. But he, like I said, he has used this time very positively, and you know, like I said, that my my name five uk is a website to go to, and that foundation has helped people individually. You know, it's helped people individually through grants. It's also helped charities such as the MND Association and then MND Scotland um, to have resources for that. And it's given up to £350,000 to those two leading charities alone. So it's a, it's even though it's sad for him on a on a personal level, it's sad for the family. And it's sad for me to see because I've seen yeah. him, I met him in his prime too. I don't like seeing him like that when you see him. Um, and it is a shock when you've not seen him for a while to see how the disease takes hold on people if you've not seen them for a month or two or three or four months. Um, but to see this charity go from a really small charity to a very big one that's helping people individually, but also the big associations, is a, a, it's a very proud moment for him. It's very proud for his family and everybody who has any spare money, whether it's just individually through merchandise or whether it is a monthly donation, uh, should get on there and give what they can because it's a brilliant cause. Yeah, I guess what you can. It's a brilliant cause, but yeah. So that that's uh, that the foundation and going to the website and, and check it out. Um, he's a lovely guy. But again, we'll be back next week on the locker room. Thanks for listening. Have a good week. Have a good sporting weekend. <laughs> and we'll be back uh, next Friday between six and seven here on Andy Live Radio.